Hey there, friends of Holy Shenanigans Podcast. I'm thrilled to share that I'll be recording live from the Wild Goose Festival this July 11 through 14. Wild Goose Festival is a transformational community grounded in faith-inspired social justice. It's a one-of-a-kind gathering that brings together activists, artists, and seekers from all walks of life to explore justice and art, spirituality, and community. The festival will take place at Van Hoy Farms in Union Grove, North Carolina, and I'd love for you to join me there. From engaging workshops to inspired panels and interactive experiences, Wild Goose has something for everyone. So mark your calendars and let's be part of this incredible community that is committed to making a positive impact in the world. For more information, visit www. WildGooseFestival.org. As one of my followers, use a discount code A-TLE24. That's A-TLE24. And you'll get $50 off the price of an adult weekend ticket. We will see you there at the Wild Goose Festival to connect, to build community, and to work for social justice. Hi there, friends of Holy Shenanigans podcast. Welcome to this special episode of Holy Shenanigans, a voice for Buffalo. In 2020, as the world awaited the trial results of George Floyd's murder, I was introduced to the words of a young husband and father that made me more fully aware of the realities of racism in the United States. By way of social media, I came across David Gray's post, Preparing for Daycare. In this post, he spoke honestly of his and his family's experience of daily life as a Black family. In this post, David spoke of the hypervigilance, the awareness that they needed to live in as people of color in America. David's words stuck with me. And so as I scroll forward to a Saturday afternoon on May 14th of this year, I remembered his words for a very significant reason and purpose. I was out running errands when I saw the news of the hate crime that took place in the Topps grocery store on the east side of Buffalo. I was shocked, outraged, and in disbelief. How could this happen? How could this happen? In Buffalo. I know Buffalo as the city of good neighbors, and this is something that I experienced to be true when I served as a vicar in this community a few years ago. I have always said that if people give Buffalo a chance and let the people of this incredible city into their hearts, Buffalo will always be a part of them. Buffalo is the city of good neighbors as well as the place I love to remember as Buffalo. As I considered the ways I could respond to this terrible crime, David's words replayed in my mind. Today, I reached out to David to ask his blessing to reshare his spoken word reading of preparing for daycare, explaining how his words would help to address the sickness of racism and to help white folks 
take real steps in allyship, advocacy, and take responsibility for the work that white folks must do to root out systemic racism. Here now is David sharing what it means for him and his two-year-old to prepare for daycare. In 1961, Arthur James Baldwin famously commented about being black in America. He said, To be a Negro in this country and to be relatively conscious is to be in a state of rage almost all of the time and in one's work. And part of the rage is this. It isn't only what's happening to you, but it's what's happening all around you and all of the time in the face of the most extraordinary and criminal indifference. Indifference of most white people in this country and their ignorance. Now, since this is so, it's a great temptation to simplify the issues under the illusion that if you simplify them enough, people will recognize them. I think this illusion is very dangerous because, in fact, it isn't the way it works. A complex thing can't be made simple. You simply have to try to deal with it and all its complexity, and hope to get that complexity across. Baldwin might have stated those words 60 years ago, but they still hold true today. We don't have to look hard at every aspect of our lives to find examples of how complex systems of racism and oppression disproportionately harm black Americans. The complex systems of racism and oppression are why black Americans suffer the most from environmental injustices and climate change. The complex systems are why black Americans have less access to high quality educational and workforce programs. These complex systems are why black Americans are systematically locked out of wealth building opportunities like home ownership and business ownership. And these complex systems are why state legislatures are making it more difficult for black Americans to exercise their voting rights. One complex system that is receiving the most attention at this specific moment in time is the criminal justice system. Regardless of one's political ideology, everyone can acknowledge that the entire criminal justice system has and continues to disproportionately harm black Americans. The complex systems of racism and oppression are why, in my home state of Louisiana, which has the highest incarceration rate in the nation, 52% of people in jail and 67% of people in prison are black, despite the fact that only 33% of the state's residents are black. The complex systems of racism and systematic oppression are the reasons why black drivers are more likely to be stopped and have their vehicles searched by police, despite being less likely to carry drugs, guns, or other illegal contraband compared to white drivers. And these complex systems are the reasons why black Americans are more than three times as likely as white Americans to be killed during a police encounter, according to researchers at the Harvard T.H. Chan School of Public Health. During my 30 plus years of living as what Baldwin called a relatively conscious black person in America, 
I've seen these complex systems affect my life. They affect me individually and intersectionally. And it's these lived experiences that led me to write a Facebook post on a Tuesday night describing one example of how my wife and I move through our world with awareness and intentionality. The post, which I entitled Preparing for Daycare, reads, I need to drive my two-year-old to daycare tomorrow morning. To ensure we arrive alive, we won't take public transit, Oscar Grant. I removed all air fresheners from the vehicle and double-checked my registration status, Dante Wright, and ensured my license plates were visible, Lieutenant Karan Nazario. I will be careful to follow all traffic rules, Philando Castile. Signal every turn, Sandra Bland. Keep the radio volume low, Jordan Davis. And won't stop at a fast food chain for a meal, Rashad Brooks. I'm too afraid to pray, Reverend Clementa C. Pankney. So I just hope the car won't break down, Corey Jones. When my wife picks him up at the end of the day, I'll remind her not to dance, Elijah McCain. Stop to play in a park, Tamir Rice. Patronize the local convenience store for snacks, Trayvon Martin. Or walk around the neighborhood, Mike Brown. Once they are home, we won't stand in our backyard, Stephon Clark. Eat ice cream on the couch, Botham John. Or play any video games, Tatiana Jefferson. After my wife and I tuck him into bed around 7.30 p.m., neither of us will leave the house to go to Walmart, John Crawford, or to the gym, Sherrod Oates, or on a jog, Ahmaud Arbery. We won't even walk to see the birds, Christian Cooper. We'll just sit and try not to breathe, George Floyd, and not to sleep, Breonna Taylor. I did not expect that post to go viral overnight. Millions of people reshared my post, commented on my page, and sent me messages of love and support. I saw posts from celebrities and from fellow parents and people from every continent but Antarctica. The profound response left me incredibly humbled by the magnitude of my words and the attention that was on the issues identified through the prose. But the response also left me saddened by the scale of people who felt the burden of racism, oppression, and other forms of trauma. The breadth and depth of the complex systems of racism and oppression cannot be understated. Many of the non-black people who contacted me told me they felt sorry for my family and me. They apologized that Complex systems of racism and oppression exist, and they felt terrible that my family and I had to live with this level of fear. I stopped many people there. You see, the post isn't one about fear. The post is about realizing the fact that everyday experiences for most people can be life-altering experiences in a bad way for Black Americans. Despite this realization, most black Americans operate from the perspective of faith. It's the same faith that our ancestors had on those southern cotton fields. 
and the same fate that they had while revolting on those same plantations in fights for freedom or while marching hand in hand to attain our civil rights and while calling for justice and affirming for the world that black lives do in fact matter. It's the same faith found in the scriptures black grandmothers instilled into the hearts and minds of black grandkids for generations. Scriptures like, we walk by faith, not by sight. 2 Corinthians 5, 7. No weapon formed against you shall prosper, and every tongue which rises against you in judgment you shall condemn. Isaiah fifty four seventeen. And even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Psalm 23.4 For black Americans, we have been walking through America's dark valley since the onset of the transatlantic slave trade in the 1500s. But yet we remain hopeful, lifting every voice and pressing towards the mark for equity and equality in the land of the free. I continue to have faith that the arc of the moral universe bends towards justice. After all, we've come a long way since Baldwin's remarks 60 years ago. But I also know we have a long way to go. I have faith that progress will be made in the coming years, and I am committed to being part of that change so my two-year-old son does not have to experience the same systematic and complex systems of racism and oppression experienced by my wife, myself, and all of our ancestors. It is important to note here that faith alone isn't enough to prune the complex systems of racism and oppression from America's garden. In James chapter 2, we are reminded that faith without works is dead. In fact, verses 15 and 16 say, If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to them, Depart in peace, be warmed and filled, but you do not give them the things which are needed for the body, what does it profit? In like manner, if you are listening and recognize that there are people in your community who are under assault by complex racist and oppressive systems, then it's not enough to simply say Black Lives Matter or send your Black colleagues a kind note. You must demonstrate your commitment to equity and justice through your works, through taking real, measurable steps to deconstruct complex systems and replace them with new ones that do not perpetuate centuries of injustice. There are no sidelines in this work. Either you are actively pursuing equity and justice or you are helping to maintain the status quo. There are a number of ways to support the work for equity and justice in America. A few you can consider include directly supporting families impacted by institutional racism, voting for candidates who have a demonstrated track record of deconstructing racist systems, supporting Black-led creative and business endeavors, Visiting Black-owned bookshops to educate yourself on issues like police brutality, racial inequality, and historical injustice. 
and taking time to research local Black-led organizations in your city that are leading efforts to reimagine and reform complex systems that impact people near you. Thank you for taking time to consider this perspective and for your commitment to going forward with more intentionality than you had in the past. As we say in the Black National Anthem, written by James Weldon Johnson in 1899, sing a song full of the faith that the dark past has taught us. Sing a song full of the hope that the present has brought us. Facing the rising sun of our new day begun, let us march on till victory is won. Two weeks have passed since this hate crime fueled by white supremacy, systemic racism, and an intentional plan of harm to this neighborhood on the east side of Buffalo took place. As I listen to the news, I hear how the City of Good Neighbors is doing the essential loving, caring, and helping efforts to bring healing, peace, and practical problem solving to meet important needs. Voice Buffalo is a local nonprofit organization that is about the work of meeting these needs as well as to faithfully bring forth social justice and equity in our region through organized collective action. In addition to this, Voice Buffalo is pinpointing fundraising to provide bereavement and emergency family assistance to those impacted by the events of May 14th. These are their names. Roberta A. Drury, age 32. Margus D. Morrison, age 52. Andre McNeil, age 53. Aaron Salter, age 55. Geraldine Talley, age 62. Celestine Cheney, age 65. Hayward Patterson, age 67. Catherine Massey, age 72. Pearl Young, age 77. Ruth Whitfield, age 86. Three more people suffered injuries in this incident. Zaire Goodman, Jennifer Warrington, and Christopher Braden. It is my hope that this special episode of HSP can help direct listeners to give financial support to aid the families and to become engaged in the work of anti-racism in their own communities. To make a donation, go to Voice Buffalo Radical Love Funds, www.voicebuffalo.org backslash radical love. This link and a full list of resources to give and receive support is linked in the show notes of this episode. Gratitude to Voice Buffalo for their ongoing work. Thanks to David Gray for resharing, preparing for daycare. Thanks to Ian Eastman for sound editing. And to listeners of Holy Shenanigans Podcast for your support, love, and prayers for the city of good neighbors, Buffalo. New York. Let's use our voices and resources to be a voice for Buffalo 
and support the ongoing work of Voice Buffalo.